0: Welcome. You're listening to another episode of AML Conversations, where we sit down with some of the brightest minds in the financial industry to explore topical matters around financial crime and compliance. We hope you enjoy this discussion and please be sure to subscribe for more. Just to kick off, how do you feel that human trafficking has evolved in recent years in response to the external environment, including uh, the, the situation going on in Ukraine and refugees fleeing?
1: Yeah, so human traffickers are constantly evolving based on external factors and the ecosystem they find themselves in. Um, you know, we've seen that over the last few years when it came to the pandemic and how um, business models shift, and how traffickers are just kind of regularly utilizing new technologies that come out. You know, we're we're constantly seeing that. Um, and now, uh, with Ukraine, but you know, with other uh, refugee situations, it's definitely um, a big area of concern because there is an opportunity for traffickers who are looking for vulnerable individuals who maybe have very limited resources, who, you know, in Ukraine, these are people who left their homes quite suddenly. Many of the people fleeing are women and children. They're coming into a new place, um, you know, potentially with a different language, very limited economic options. Um, And there is also this mix of, you know, they may be being approached by legitimate aid workers and also Mm -hmm. people posing as aid workers. Um, And so that is um, a very tough, risky environment. And I think we have heard of a number of anecdotal reports that I think are legitimate, um, suggesting that there are human traffickers that are trying to prey on the Ukrainian refugees um, and um, see them as, you know, a a prime pool to um, exploit and to traffic.
0: Yeah, I've been reading about some of the the scams, you know, people saying that they're going to help and then they get sort of trapped into situations where it's, it's incredibly sad. And um, so I'm just going to take a quote from the Polaris website. So in 2020, 10,583 situations of human trafficking were reported to the US National Human Trafficking Hotline, which involved 16,658 individual victims. Shocking as these numbers are, they are likely only a fraction of the actual problem. So From this, how do you think we can combat the issues surrounding reporting and improving the communication between the private sector and authorities?
1: Yeah, so that's kind of always the ongoing question here. Um, I think in many ways, particularly the anti-financial crimes community has um really done a great job in stepping up in you know the last five to ten years to look at this issue and and improve reporting i think sometimes what i worry about with um you know just the the aml framework is um there's a difference between just having a a certain number of reports and having really quality reports and quality Mm -hmm. intelligence and i think you know, t- to some extent, when I see SAR numbers increasing related to human trafficking, you know that's a good thing. That means the industry is looking for it. People are aware. <clears throat> At the same time, if the quality of those SARs, <clears throat> excuse me, is not high, um, you know that may have limited utility to law enforcement. So, um, I think working um, with nonprofits like Polaris and others to really understand what human trafficking is, get those kind of nuances. And so when um, reporting is done, one, you're you're focused on situations that um, really do reflect human trafficking and not kind of um, suspicion, uh, or I'm sorry, um, uh, biases or assumptions about what human trafficking is. And two, <clears throat> maybe you're able to pull out a little more nuance or a little more detail that could really support that law enforcement investigation.
0: Yeah, well, that's really, really useful to know. I know the... Um The FATF recently released a a report around uh, the risk of money laundering and migrant smuggling and it's also I think I mean potentially for me who obviously doesn't have quite the in-depth knowledge that you do but seeing the differences between migrant smuggling and human trafficking I think can be a a bit tricky.
1: Yes, definitely, and I mean, I think there's been confusion about that. Um, FinCEN typically talks about human trafficking and human smuggling um, in documents that cover both rather than kind of dealing with them separately, which I think can cause confusion. You know, when we're talking about migrant smuggling or human smuggling, we're talking about people being brought into a country illegally, not through the, the standard immigration process, so that's really a crime against a country versus human trafficking where someone is being made to work or engage in prostitution or a minor in prostitution, that's a crime against a person. And so um, thinking about is there an economic activity that's go that someone's being forced, defrauded, or coerced into doing that, you know, if there is that activity, then that's more of a human trafficking situation. If the situation is purely moving someone across a border, then that's Um, the human smuggling element, so it's that economic activity you're looking for.
0: Yeah, thank you. Um, So also just touching on the FinCEN, so what more do you think that government bodies like the FinCEN and the UK's Financial Intelligence Unit can do to prevent human trafficking?
1: So FinCEN in particular, and I would suspect, though I don't know as much about the UK FIU, um, is certainly under-resourced considered, considering how important their mandate is and how broad their mandate is. Um, and there are more and more um, responsibilities kind of being assigned to FinCEN. Um, so that's one reason Polaris is really advocating for increased funding for FinCEN. I'm hoping that FinCEN, you know, with this AML reform act that has been passed and and thinking through the human, tra- uh, I'm sorry, the, the AML priorities, which in- included human trafficking. Um, I think as they're figuring out how to um, uh, kind of create a system in which uh, financial institutions are able to really focus in on those priorities, I'm hoping that they're looking for in efficiencies in some of the other kind of reporting elements that are going on that maybe are more manual, time intensive um, and have more limited uh, utility in some in some ways for law enforcement. So I'm hoping, you know, there may be um, technical efficiencies that that could make um, some of that easier and allow banks and other financial institutions to really focus in on um, priority issues like human trafficking and conduct more in-depth investigations into that. Um, So I think that's something they're certainly considering, but um, at the same time, I think a lot of those um, efficiencies are going to require probably a lot of uh, resources uh, on Vincent's part and so um, you know what will be feasible given their budget constraints is certainly a question.
0: Yeah definitely. Um, So just moving on to some of the sort of AML community and obviously our audience will um, want to know about these sort of uh, answers to these questions. So how can sort of banks and other financial service providers respond to challenges surrounding human trafficking? You mentioned obviously filing suspicious reports earlier. So um, is this one of the features that they really should be, um, they should really be, should be thinking about when preventing human trafficking?
1: Yeah, certainly. So I mean, suspicious activity reports are are kind of a, a key issue. Um, I would say a couple of things to think about there. One, um, I think, you know, we've heard from law enforcement that SARS where you're able to really articulate um, what you think that underlying offense is and why you think so um, are more useful. Um, I would also think about in situations where there is really ample information about human trafficking, you feel it's a very strong lead. Um, trying to flag that SAR for law enforcement contacts to make sure that it is followed up on. So um, DHS has um, the um, it's the Center to Combat Human Trafficking, which is really led by HSI. You know, if you don't know who to contact, I would consider reaching out to them um, to make sure that you can flag it for a uh, uh, SAR that you you think is really strong um for HSI to make sure that they're able to follow up in a in a timely manner um and then I think another thing that's just a challenge for AML professionals but something to be very conscious of is in human trafficking situations it is very common for um, all of the financial transactions to be put on account um, held by the victim so that has a lot of implications one in your SAR reporting Um, You know, making sure that you're specifying the account holder may be the victim and not necessarily a perpetrator is important, but then also, you know, it leads to a lot of questions about account closures and and de-risking, you know, that individual um, may be a victim and um, account closures could have impact on their life. Um, so you you know you may have to make some tough calls in the moment, but um, I would also encourage financial institutions to think about different financial access programs. We have been working with FAST, Finance Against Slavery and Trafficking, to set up the Survivor Inclusion Initiative to help facilitate um, opening bank accounts for survivors of human trafficking. So after they've exited, making sure they're getting back into the legitimate financial system, um, that's going to be uh, a key factor in their recovery and, and kind of creating stability in their lives. So how can you, as a financial institution, facilitate financial access for communities like survivors of trafficking whose um, identities maybe have been misused in the past?
0: Great. No, that's, that's really useful insights. Thank you. Um, so just thinking about the sort of financial sector, and we've definitely seen a rise of digital currencies and cryptocurrencies. So how do you think this is impacting the uh, human trafficking?
1: So, you know, as, as um, the general public is adopting these um, technologies and these new financial products, traffickers certainly are as well. Traditionally, when it comes to human trafficking, we've seen the use of cryptocurrency in kind of two spaces. One is for the sale of child sexual abuse materials, or CSAM. Um, The other um, has been for the purchasing of online ads, advertising sexual services. So um, on sites that are similar to Backpage, Backpage hasn't been around for a couple of years now, but the kind of Backpage replacements. Um, sometimes those ads are purchased in cryptocurrency. Um, You know, I mean, I'm increasingly seeing it um, just spoken about and talked about in other ways. Um, You know, maybe it's um, individuals utilizing Bitcoin ATMs where you can um, buy uh, crypto with cash. Um, I think there are, you know, for larger trafficking networks that are maybe more international, it may be an opportunity to remit Um, funds to another jurisdiction. Um, So, it's certainly something that we need to be very conscious of and aware of. I think, you know, legitimate virtual currency exchanges that are following AML regulations are certainly going to be key partners, and um, we're definitely looking to further our relationships with those entities, make sure they're brought in in the way some of the larger banks and other companies have been in the past. Um, but I think there is also a reality that it is a new space, and there's a lot of actors in the space who are less scrupulous when it comes to the regulations. Um, so that's something to, we need to be really mindful of and um, and and figure out how to address. Um, yeah, so some thoughts there.
0: Yeah, no, I think obviously, with the work that you do, I think education is it's so crucial and with, especially with an ever changing financial sector, I think constantly maintaining that education is so important. Um, is there anything further that you'd like to share surrounding the prevention of human trafficking I think especially for the, the AML community audience?
1: Um, so I think, you know, when it comes to the prevention of human trafficking, I think there's kind of two ways to think about this one is how do we um, make people who are vulnerable to trafficking less vulnerable? And I think the financial uh, services industry has a role to play there when it comes to uh, financial access and financial inclusion initiatives. Um, And then secondly, how do we make trafficking riskier and less profitable for the traffickers? Mm -hmm. Um, If we're able to do that, you know, they're, we're limiting the incentive for anyone to become a human trafficker in the first place. Um, and so that you know that is effective and aggressive AML um, investigations, monitoring, um, really leaning into the issue. I think one area I'd like to see expanded upon a little bit, and I think it's starting to happen, is really expanding um, kind of the understanding of what businesses may be considered high risk for labor trafficking particularly? And how do you, um, you know, screen those clients in the onboarding process? Um, How do you you look at those businesses? Because certainly um, businesses that are using forced labor, you know, they are getting capital and they're getting investments and financing from the financial services industry. And so we want to make sure that those um, those risks associated with that are being factored in with those financing decisions.
0: Well, thank you so much, Paul.
1: Oh. <laughs> Sorry, my dog. And <laughs> <Right
0: Okay. again. laughs> so, um, that's the end. <laughs> thank you so much for your time this morning. I really appreciated your insights and you know, for me personally as well, getting up to understand more about what can be done and all the work that Polaris do. I really, really appreciate it. So I hope you enjoy the rest of your day and thank you so much. Thank you so much, Sophie. Have a good day. It's lovely to meet you. Bye. Thanks for listening to another episode of AML Conversations brought to you by AML RightSource. To make sure you're staying up to date with what's going on in the industry, be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast to get the latest episode.